is basically that we are uh, looking at the blood of Jesus and why the blood of Jesus um, flowed, why there was blood. And last week, uh, Cindy Quills did an excellent job in talking about the atonement. And uh, our whole message about the atonement and what Christianity is all revolves around the blood of Jesus. And when we think of the blood of Jesus and the love of God, uh, it can, we can have such a wrong picture of what atonement is. And from this, um, I mean, there are different schools on what the atonement actually is, but it's basically what we grew up in, as Cindy explained so well last week, was that we grew up with a mindset that uh, the atonement was, was done by a sin offering, and the sin offering was to appease the anger of God. So atonement, which we will explain today further, uh, took place by a sin offering. So a sin offering wasn't the atonement, neither was the atonement a sin offering. A sin offering was needed in order to bring forth atonement. Now, uh, when we look at a sin offering, what is a sin offering? What is and why would there be a sin offering? Why would there have to be a lamb that was slain and, and all of those kind of things? And I mean, we can speculate and we can talk a lot about that. And I'm going to give my view on what I see uh, as pertaining to that. The, the whole thing about the, the, the atonement rests in the sin offering. And uh, the question today is why a sin offering? Why a sacrifice for sin? Why the death of an animal or the death of a man? Um, last week I was listening to uh, a debate between Muslims and Christians. And uh, they were debating uh, as if Islam is a religion of peace. Now I know that there are many of us that would say Islam is not a religion of peace because we don't find many Christians going around beheading people, but we do find that people in the Islam faith are much, much more, lean much more to be radicalized in the area of uh, beheadings and all those kind of things. And with that, uh, against the Muslims and against the Imams that were there, they were standing and they had to have such a strong argument against this overwhelming um, voice of people standing with the Quran in their hands, quoting verses, killing people, calling on Allah, and those kind of things. And uh, the Christian guy was, I would say, he was leading in the debate. He was, he was, he's gonna, he was, um, he was going to win the debate by far, you know, because he could take all the passages and how people apply it and how people interpret it and all those kind of things, and he was leading the debate. But then there was a lady, the organizer, or the one that was leading the thing there, and uh, she uh, could ask a question to each party, and she asked the Christian guy, and she said to him, I would like to know, uh, in everything that you've said about Islam, and how radical they are, and how their God demands death, and all those kind of things, and how people walk in this death. Uh, why could the Christian God not just forgive people, but has gone even further 
than what the Muslim God has gone and had his own son murdered to satisfy his own anger and his own wrath so that he could forgive people. Why was he blood hungry and why did he need to, 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 um, to be so radical that he could not forgive unless somebody dies that has transgressed his law? And uh, the Christian guy just lost the debate right there because he didn't know how to answer that. It is such a difficult thing to answer in um, a Calvinistic way, like Cindy explained last week. So we're going to look at that and why blood was needed and why blood um, had to be uh, in the whole uh, um, atonement. Now, when we think of atonement, we immediately think of a lamb that was slain or death. Now, I want you, when you think of atonement, not to think of that at all. Because atonement um, doesn't mean death of something or someone. Atonement simply means to be set at one. Uh, there's somebody gave this definition of it, and it's not found in a dictionary, but it explains atonement very well. It just means atonement, to be put together again. Atonement, atonement, where we are at a place where we have been, we are made one with God, where we are joined together with God. That is what atonement um, actually means. One of the meanings of atonement means to unite. It also means to alleviate distress or sin or to take it away, to take oppression away from people. We can think of is the Israelites and when they were in um, uh, 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 in slavery to the Egyptians, and when they were in slavery to the Egyptians, what took place was uh, atonement. You know, God came, a lamb was given, and God made atonement. In other words, He took the His people out of slavery and put them where He wanted them again. So. Uh, we should see atonement as taking a person from where he is at a place where there's an indifference between uh, God and people and where that person is put back to the original place and the original uh, thought and the original design and the original uh, plan that God had with man. That is what we should think when we think of atonement. Now... <coughs> The atonement can also be seen as, uh, like I said, uh, the separation from indifference. So if we would take, for instance, and uh, we technically we can actually use this example, but I'm going to use it and it will help you a lot. If we would take a guy who sells uh, drugs and uh, runs a brothel, and we would take God and we would have a scale, a balancing scale, and we would put God on the one side. And imagine the, the scale would measure holiness or measure righteousness. And we would put the, the guy who uh, is busy abusing children and selling drugs and killing people and, and running drug cartels and those kind of things on the other side. I mean, who would... How, how would this scale look? Obviously, the holiness of God 
is going to outweigh the holiness of the acts of selling drugs and those kind of things. And God would push the scale over to the one side completely. And now, what needs to take place, and this is, this is what I, how I would see atonement is, since there's an imbalance, you would find it very difficult for the drug dealer to have a wonderful, loving relationship with God. Why? Because of this imbalance. We find that in every area of life where there's an imbalance in income. You will not find people that are of a low income group, let's say you're earning $50,000 a, 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 a year, and you're not going to fellowship and be friends uh, with people that are uh, earning an income of $500 million a year. Those people just don't fellowship together, not because they they um, the one is better than the other one, but because the, the things they deal with in everyday life is different. You might find in some extreme cases that takes place, uh, but in most cases, because if the one guy stops there with a Ferrari and the other guy stops there with a broken down motorbike, he's not going to look for the guys with the Ferraris and go and hang out there and say, hey, my good buddies and my friends. Why? Because of the indifference that there is in his heart. He would say, those guys, you know, they own the big cars, they've got the big money, I cannot fellowship there, let me find my own kind. And the same thing happened with man. After Adam sinned, there was an indifference. There was something that Adam realized inside himself. He realized his inability to live forever. He realized that he is not a God on his own. He realized so many things. He realized his weakness. He realized his nakedness. And all of a sudden, he, was, he felt like a person that would uh, be in the street and uh, all of a sudden be naked. You know, you would be ashamed because the others are clothed and you're naked. And you don't want to show your nakedness. So you want, to, you want to hide because there's an indifference. So what God wanted to do is he wanted to balance out that indifference. And the only way it could take place is if God is pushing the scale over completely to the one side, the only way it can balance out is if... There is an incarnation. In other words, if the same weight is put on the other side. In other words, if God could take God and put himself inside a sinful human flesh or in the likeness of sinful flesh, then God in heaven and God on earth weighs the same and this indifference will be taken completely out of the way. Uh, God had to come and restore the mind of man and the way man would think about himself and about God back to the original and if he could get that right then the, uh, the, the indifference would be out of the way and man could come boldly to the throne of grace. Man could come boldly to that which God um, intended for him to come to a throne, to a place where he can find life from God. Now um, with that in mind, we need to realize that uh, when God was thinking of the atonement, he was not thinking of the atonement from the perspective of the indifference here is, and what doesn't allow people to come into my presence, is not that people 
don't want to come, but it is my anger. So God wasn't sitting in heaven and thinking, what is blocking people from entering into my presence? And then he found that what was blocking people was his anger. And then he had to deal with his anger, and he had to deal with a righteousness from a law perspective wherein the only justification that there is if somebody has sinned is if his sin is, um, is punished. And then God, God's issue in heaven wasn't his righteousness. Righteousness wasn't the problem. Because, you know, if we're under a system where we say that God is so righteous that he had to punish sin... And he didn't want to punish people, therefore he punished his own son and murdered, or had his own son murdered, so that it could appease his righteousness. Uh, we are sitting with a God that is exactly the same as all the other gods there is. It's the same thing as Islam, the same as all those kind of things. Now, I might say some radical things that's going to cause me to lose 20 friends or stuff like that, but I want you to grab a hold of what I'm going to say. If your religion, whatever you believe in, even if it is Christianity, if you can take your Bible and you can say, my God demands the death of other people, um, the moment you do that, like what uh, uh, some Islam scriptures would say. Now, somebody that may be watching here that is a Muslim, you might say to me, Bertie, we know, but those scriptures are taken out of context. Those people were really oppressed. They were in a really bad situation. That's why they beheaded people and everything, and now it's taken out of context. Now, what that means is, if, if that is the argument, the argument's very simple, and this is what it means. It means that should a person ever feel that he's really oppressed and really uh, made a slave, if it was allowed back then, and there hasn't come a change in covenant, then it would still be allowed today. And that's what happens in, in, um, in Islam. There hasn't been a radical change when somebody came and said the old way has passed away. There's still room for that. And what I found, and what's shocking even in Christianity, is people go to war, physical war, political war, and they want to back their war out of scripture. My goodness, that is dangerous. Um, that is so anti what God has done in Christ. What God has done in Christ was never to say, you've, you've broken my law, now you need to be punished, somebody need to die, somebody need to be murdered. He's n he is not like that. He doesn't walk according to the old tribal systems that was found uh, thousands of years ago wherein people had the sacrificial system and all those kind of things. He, he, he doesn't, he's got nothing to do with that. God is much higher than that. Now, you might say, Bertie, but you know, why a blood sacrifice? Why a sacrifice of an animal? Now, there are different schools about this. The one school, um, I've read some of it, uh, it comes from a guy called Rene Girard, and he teaches that the sacrificial system started with a scapegoat system wherein somebody wanted to blame, they wanted to blame one guy, and then if one guy can be blamed and he died, it brought some kind of a peace. Almost like with like Goliath, you know, um, and David. And when they were fighting, they said, let not all of us die, but let us bring one man and let him, let 
one man from the Philistines, one from Israel, let them fight, and if whosoever wins represents all, and uh, we will go that way. And that is what basically uh, happened back in those days. And then if we study this out, we find that this was basically in tribes and in people groups all over the world. And now the thought is that since man lived that way, that God now came and incarnated our darkness and tried to speak our language inside of our system. Now, um, I don't fully agree with that. My view is that the sacrificial system started with God. It started in the heart of God. It didn't start in the heart of man and God wasn't willing to make a sacrifice and then he saw man part of the sacrificial system and then man actually gave God a revelation on what to do and then said, well, you know, if I can come and I can sacrifice my son, then I'm talking their language and I'm incarnating their darkness and now I am actually helping them. Uh, well, there is a view like that, like I said, a theological view which many people follow. I don't fully agree with that. This is my view. <clears throat> when man sinned, when Adam sinned, God knew that the only way that Adam could ever, ever be uh, clothed again, that he will not look at his nakedness, but look at, at, uh, at this, this clo clothing where he was completely clothed with the righteousness of God, was if God would make a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was not a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God or a sacrifice to get God's, wash God's mind by the blood of that sacrifice or any of that. What it was all about was uh, what would be needed to cleanse the mind of man. And this is what, what God said from the beginning. Adam and Eve sinned, they clothed themselves with fig leaves and then God went and he did something. He took the skins of animals and clothed them. Now, there are, uh, if you go and read the first and second book of Adam and those kind of things, um, you will find, and there are other doc uh, historic things that came over with the oral tradition. It says that some lions killed some lambs and God took the skins of those lambs and clothed, um, clothed Adam and Eve and he didn't actually kill any animal but what God did and what I think he was showing from the beginning was that blood will without blood will be shed in order to clothe us that is what he tried to communicate from the beginning and what he was saying is he was saying what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do something that is so powerful and that is so radical that it can wash your mind from all guilt and all sin. And what I will sacrifice, sacrifice, in other words, for sacrifice is willing to give. What I am willing to give to bring this forth is a being that is perfect without sin, that can carry your sin and then die your death. And if he can die your death, then you will have to come to the conclusion, should this being be raised from the dead, that his life is your life and therefore your mind will be washed from sin which is uh, transgression unto death. Now um, I know what I'm saying is very complicated, can sound very complicated but let me just explain it again and uh, just take it from another angle. Number one, atonement means to put at one. Now 
when we look at the sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, and if you read Exodus 30 verse 10, it says that we would to make atonement you needed blood. To make atonement you needed blood. So what did God do? He had to bring something that can wash the minds of people. The first thing that you need to do is know is that when man sinned, God's, it didn't make the mind of God dirty. The blood didn't flow for God. It didn't wash the mind of God from his anger. The blood didn't bring forgiveness to the heart of God, where God was walking in unforgiveness until the righteous payment was paid. Uh, that is not how it works. The blood was not something that God needed in order to forgive man. Now you might just want to sh shut this off right here, but let me just uh, explain. I want to say it again. The blood was not needed in order for God to find forgiveness in his heart because man transgressed against him. It was not needed. The blood was uh, God, even after Adam sinned, he came and he walked with Adam. He wasn't angry. He even said, make my tabernacle amongst those stiff-necked Jews and let me live amongst them and pardon their sins and all those kind of things. God didn't have a forgiveness problem. Yet, without the shedding of blood, there could not be forgiveness of sins. Um, the way we've interpreted the scripture where it says, without the shedding of blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins, we've interpreted as, without the shedding of blood, God cannot come over or get over the fact that man disobeyed him. Now that is not the truth. You know, blood was not needed for God to handle our sin. But blood was needed for man. Man needed blood in order to have his mind washed. And since we needed blood, and that would be the only thing, and I'm going to explain to you why we needed blood. And since we needed blood, we needed the death of something in order for us to, uh, to overcome our sin and death. We needed that to wash our minds from a guilty conscience. We needed that. And since that was what we needed, I knew, God knew that He needed it. Because we need it. But God was not in need of it for himself. We were in need of it and only God could provide it for us. Now let me explain to you this way. A while back, think about two years ago, my son played tennis and uh, he broke his tennis racket. And he came to me and he says, Dad, I need a tennis racket. I said, okay, I'll go and get you one. He was busy with his things at school and everything. And when I had time off, I drove to Cape Town and went to the sportsman's warehouse. And uh, I entered the, the, the warehouse, and one of the salespeople came to me, a salesman came to me and said, Sir, what do you need? And I said, I'm in need of a tennis racket. I need a tennis racket. And the moment I said that, uh, it's as if the, the Holy Spirit just awakened me unto why God needed blood. Well, I didn't need a tennis racket. I mean, I don't play tennis. I used to play tennis when I was a child, but I've... I'm not busy with the things of a child anymore. I've, <laughs> I've moved on, you know. But my son needs that. And because I am his provider, and I am there to provide whatever he needs for the atonement with the team, the tennis team that he was playing in, 
in order for him to be in harmony with that team, he needs a racket. Without a racket, he cannot be there. In the very same way, you know, he had to be released from the stress and the worry of how am I going to play that match with a crack in this tennis racket. This tennis racket can play, but who knows when I hit the ball it can break and then I'm without a tennis racket. Um, and he needed to be delivered from that. And the only way he could be delivered from that is if his father, that's got enough money to buy him a racket, could provide it for him. In the very same way, man could never have the sin washed out of his mind without the shedding of blood. And God said, I'm willing to make a sacrifice to wash your mind from what is destroying you. Now, you might say, Beth, you know, man can receive forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Okay, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's not possible for a person to receive forgiveness without the understanding that comes to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As simple as that. Now, I've preached this for the last, I think, five or eight weeks. I've mentioned this and I'm going to mention it again. What we needed in order to see ourselves as innocent and forgiven, to see ourselves as at one with God, a place where we have got no consciousness of sin, no consciousness of death, a consciousness of equality, where we don't come ashamed or we don't feel naked in the presence of God, is if we can be clothed with the very life of God Himself. Now the only way we can see ourselves clothed with the life of God is not by God just coming with a voice from heaven saying, you have my life. You know, we've seen that in the Old Testament over and over. God would come and He would appear to Moses. He would speak to Moses. And Moses would walk from there and completely misunderstand what God said and what God's intent was. We, we saw many people in the Old uh, uh, not really understanding what God was saying. Uh, and that's why God, and, and they had such misinterpretations of God that when Jesus came, that the Bible says, then truth came. Because before that, we couldn't see the truth. We couldn't see the truth about God. We couldn't see the truth about who He was. So, when Jesus came, truth came. So in the Old Testament, we find a lot of folk hearing a voice, but not understanding. And God came, and He wanted to speak a language that we can understand. And what we saw, and this is the sin that came to man. Man fell into a system wherein he had to reach immortality by his own ability. That is the thing. Every person is seeking uh, one thing, and that is the, the fountain of youth. That's what people want. They want to live and not die. There are very few people that... And we would call those people very depressed, or we'd say they've got a they've got a some mental issue, or they've got, they are very much hurt, or they suffer from depression or some sickness. We would call it that. That want to kill themselves, uh, but you would find 99.99999 percent of people on the planet don't want to die; they want to live. That's why the doctors make so much money. That's why you find uh, all the people with plastic surgery and facelifts and all those kind of things and, and uh, everything with, with makeup and whatever. It, it, it makes so much money. Why? Because people want to look young. They don't want to grow old. It is something that is inside man. It is a willingness to want to live and not die. 
That is what it is. When people become very old, and it's a real effort to, um, to live, and it is a great suffering, then they say, I don't want to live like this, I would rather die. But yet we will find a lot of old people will not, if, if you would tell them, listen, just hold your breath until you die, he's not going to want to do that. He would rather, if, if you could give him a tablet that could make him young and he could live, he would want that. Most people would want that. So it is something that has been put inside our hearts from God. God is an eternal being that will eternally live in the bliss of His righteousness and His goodness and His kindness, and He has designed us to have that. Now, when Adam sinned, what he was doing is he was saying that I can attain eternal life and immortality by my own works. That is what he did. And then he saw that he was dying. He saw that he was dying. And he realized that when God said to him, the day you eat thereof, in this day you will die. And just by the way, for those of you that are theological about things, some people say God said in this day, in the day you eat thereof, you will die. And we find that he didn't die. It's not true. Uh, the Bible clearly states that a thousand years is as one day to the Lord, and one day is a thousand years. And we find that Adam didn't reach 1,000 years. So um, with that understanding, he did die in the day that he ate of that tree. So he wouldn't become older than a thousand years even. But a thousand years is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket against the ocean of immortality. And that is what God wanted for him. So here man sits with the issue, I'm dying. I'm part of something that causes sins or fruit of the flesh to manifest in my life. I find sickness, disease. I feel I'm under a curse. I'm dying. And so many people died. Then God knew that man's issue was that he is dying. And when he clothed them, he had to clothe them with the life of one that has died. Or something that has died. Because man, what we needed to see is that God can bring forth life to those that are dying. That is what we needed to see. That is what this whole thing was all about. He wanted us to have a mind where, we, where our mind is washed from a future death, but into a place where we can live. And the only way he could do that was if he could take our life and present us with our life, where we could see our sin, where we could see our death, and then see that death take place in front of our eyes, and how he would promise a dying man that has all the sin of all the world, eternal life, and then raise him from the dead. If that could take place, we could then again believe that this God that would raise a man out of my sin and out of my death can raise me up for the life that he was raised up into is my life since the death he died was my death because he carried my sin. Now, that's very technical again, but let me explain that. In order to, for us to see... Uh, to, to have our minds washed from the consciousness that we can, we will die and not be, not eternally live in our mortal bodies. And I want to tell you, there are many Christians on the earth today, in South Africa, 
in America, um, and, and my travels when I, when I go overseas, I find more and more people are believing in this Gnosticism wherein we are not preaching salvation to the physical body. I want to tell you salvation is directed to the physical body. That's where the issue came in. God made Adam from the dust of the earth. He became a living soul. When he was alive, as he was living on this earth, God said to him, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat thereof, you will die. And we see his physical death. I think about 960 something, round about there, years later, Adam died. And from there, death passed unto all. All men from Adam to Moses died, from Moses onwards died, and they were struggling with a problem called death. And they needed a word wherein they could see a man conquer death by the love of God and the promise of God. And then God said, I'm willing to make a sacrifice and I will incarnate myself, the only perfect sinless human being, into a physical human body. And then I, by faith, will take all the sin of all the people unto me. And I will sacrifice myself in the form of my son. I will bring my son, Jesus, to this earth. And the life that is inside that body, which is in the blood, that life that is inside him will be sinless from birth. But then when he got baptized by John the Baptist... The, uh, the Son of God, Jesus, went and he, when he was baptized into the Jordan River, he believed by faith. He believed that he was doing the job of the scapegoat defined in Leviticus um, 16, wherein it says that uh, the sins of all the world will be put on the mind or on the head of the goat, and then he will go out into the desert, and ca signifying the carrying away of sins. Jesus came at a place called Bathabara, which was called the place of the crossing, where the Jews went into the promised land, at that very same place in the Jordan River, uh, where the water stopped when the priests put their feet into the water, and dammed up to a small town called Adam. Uh, at that very same place, Jesus went, and he was baptized by John the Baptist, and he was baptized with the baptism of a sinner, which John didn't even want him to be baptized with because he said, you are innocent, how can you come into this baptism where people confess sins? Jesus came, was baptized into the sin of the world. The only way, thing that took place there is from that moment, God, the Son, believed that he was carrying the sin of the world. And the most beautiful thing happened when he came out of that water, signifying that he was carrying now in his mind that the sin of the world is upon him. We find a voice from the Father that says, this is my beloved Son, which, which echoes through eternity to us to tell all people that are even in sin, you are still my people. So now what happened is, and this is the sacrifice God needed to provide a man that could be raised up uh, without any sin. That could, by faith, take the sin of all people. So that people can say, we are not looking at a man carrying his own sin. We are looking at a man that is actually having my sin in his mind. In his mind, he is seeing himself as me. And so in other words, when I look at him, I can actually 
and I don't know how to say it another way, go out of my body and look at myself and see how God would treat me. And if I could see how God would treat me, it would wash my mind about what I would think about my future and what I would think about God and wash my sin or my missing the mark of life away. That is what will take place. So here God says, I'm willing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven, the Son says, I'm willing to go and be incarnated. I am equal to you, Father. I have a glory with you in heaven, the glory of eternal life, immortality, and sinlessness. And I will be incarnated through the Holy Spirit into a body, the body of Mary, which would not have a a, a physical father of this earth, meaning that uh, we could say this is the Son of God, meaning having the holiness, having the righteousness, having everything of God, yet in human flesh, and then he would go and say, here is like an empty bucket that can take all the sin of all people, so that all the sin of all people can look at a bucket called a human body, filled with all sin, and then behold how God would treat that body, even if that body died. Then, what sin brought was a curse over man. So this person, this Jesus, had to walk the whole path of sin, so that for our minds, not for God, for our minds, and then um, he, he went, and that's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross because the Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a cross. And if we, if we hang on, if Jesus hangs on upon, upon a cross, it means the curse of sin and death was, he was fully identifying with it, so that we today and everybody born later on could look at that body and say, How would God deal with a person that has got, that's cursed with sin and death? And not just sin and death, my sin and my death, because that makes the word personal to me. It's not how would God deal with someone else's sin. No, Jesus took my sin when he was baptized there. The flow of sin, the water dammed up to a town called Adam, took the sin of all of man in one. And we as outsiders now could behold we stand outside of that sin, yet it, we are included because it's our sin. And we can actually say, how does the Father treat me? When I feel, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at me, you've left me. I'm even in a place, look at my sin. It feels as if you've left me and all those kind of things. How would you deal, me, you deal with me even if I die? And then Jesus died. His blood flowed. The life is in the blood. And when he died, the life of a sinful man, Jesus wasn't sinful, talking about my life, in, in him now, the life of a man carrying all the sin of the world, which was my sin, which actually was my life, flowed out of him and died. And when we see that flowing of blood, we know it's life. His life has flowed out of him and he's completely dead. And that means where I'm going, a place where my heart will stop beating, where I will physically die, where it will be all be over, I see my end in Christ. I see my death there. And then we see three days later, God raised that man up that was full of sin, that actually became sin, and glorified him with an immortal body without any sin. And placed him at the right hand of the Father. And 
that flowing of blood there, I hope you can see now how that was needed to wash our minds. God never wanted sacrifice. He never needed any sacrifice for him to look at man and say, I love you, you are what I always wanted and everything. If it was determined on God, there was never any death needed because his mind never needed washing. What needed, the reason why God needed the blood was the blood washes our minds. You know, if my son plays outside and he runs there and he falls and he's dirty, you know, then I need soap. Not to wash me. My goodness, I'm clean. Maybe I'm here in the studio. I've just, you know, I've taken a shower, I've put it on a, a clean shirt, I've everything, you know, and now he's dirty out there. What will I now go and do? Man, do I need soap? I don't need soap. I'm clean. But my son needs soap. That's why I will go to the store and buy soap. If his clothes got a very serious stain and an expensive shirt, what am I going to do? I'm going to look at the best detergent you can find to wash his shirt. Not, I mean, if my son gets oil on his shirt and stains his shirt, I'm not going to my closet and I'm starting to wash all my clothes. No, there's nothing wrong with me. The problem is with him. So God never needed blood to wash his mind, to make him feel better, or to satisfy his anger. Never. But we needed to have a clear enough message wherein we could see the end of a life under the law and sin and death and how God would do that and he and, and how, what God would do with a man that has died there and he, we saw that he raised him up and glorified him eternally so that we today can now say the blood of Jesus that flowed is enough evidence for me and his resurrection that even if I die I've got the blessed hope of eternal life how would we ever have come to that conclusion without that flowing of blood? And I think that God didn't try to speak the language of traditional people that went and did sacrifices and all those kind of things. He just completed his plan. Or he, when Manson knew what man's mind would need. And I think, and this you might say back, but where does all the sacrificial systems come in? Where, why Cain and Abel? Why did they sacrifice and all those kind of things? I think, and this is just a theory, when God came with those animal skins and clothed them, I don't think God was there quiet, saying nothing, clothing them. God has always been communicator. He's always tried, always tried to explain. And then we find that with Cain and Abel, uh, the one brought, brought what God needed in order to wash us. And that was of an animal sacrifice, which was pointing to God on what he would do. Listen, no man can sacrifice any sacrifice that would be pleasing to God. The only sacrifice that, that could ever be made is God sacrificing something. And that sacrifice, we've made it a, a very difficult thing. If we, another word for sacrifice is just to give. 
God gave something. We cannot give anything. All the Old Testament sacrifices, Jesus comes and he, Psalm 40, you know, prophetically speaks of Jesus, which says, sacrifice an offering you did not desire. Even a sin offering you did not require. You did not. So it means God never wanted any man to give any of these things. And then it goes on, if you read Hebrews 10 verse 5, it says, but a body you have prepared. So what he says is, how, what body did he have to prepare? He had, like God, prepared Adam in the beginning from the dust of the earth. He prepared the body and blew the breath of life in him. In the same way, he had to prepare a body again. And from the dust of the earth, Mary's body. He formed a man and blew into him the breath of life. And Jesus, the lost Adam, came forth. He prepared a body. That's what he wanted. And that was what he gave and g brought forth. And in, 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 uh, uh, in union, in consent with that man's free will, Jesus' free will, what he did was, he went and he said, listen, I give you this, this life. I'm willing to allow death to come to this life so that we can communicate a message in the resurrection that this life of death has ended and that they can be resurrected. That's why blood was needed. I know many of you can differ from me from this point, uh, on this point, but I want to tell you this is what brings peace to me and this is what makes the God of the New Testament and, and the Christian God different to the, the, the understanding of the Muslim people about God and many other folk. Glory to God. Well, we are about to, um, to end this service, and I trust that you've, you've been deeply blessed by this message. I trust that you've been so touched in your heart. Let us just pray together, and, um, and then we're going to end this service. Father, I want to thank you so much for your love and your kindness and your mercy and your grace. I want to thank you, Father, that we could just minister this message to people. And I thank you, Father, that as we come to the end of the service, that everybody's heart will be washed by your blood that flowed uh, in Jesus and that it was our life ended there. And since life is in the blood, when we saw that you became, you took our life on you and you died, we saw our life end there and we saw the end of, of, of our lives but that there is not, there's something greater than the end, it's the resurrection and that you raised Jesus up and thank you Father you've come now and you've given us new hope in Christ and thank you Lord for the blood of Jesus, thank you that the blood of Jesus washes our minds from a guilty conscience that we can never ever have a consciousness of sin and lack and death again thank you Father for your kindness in Jesus' name.